and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. After speaking to Dale last week, we are now speaking to Mr. Houston Sports this week, trying to get you through this off-season. Uh, the general himself, Mr. John McLean. John, how you doing? Great, how are you doing? How are you? I'm good, thanks. So, for the people that don't know, you you left the Chronicle, but you're still very active. Is, it, is, is this ever something you think you can walk away from, or how do you see it? playing out uh, you and I, I worked at the houston chronicle for 47 years and i knew before last season it was going to be my last one i told the bosses i told them when we hired a new guy he would be the one taking my place in a year but i do i also do 10 weekly talk shows in six cities including four a week on the texans flagship and talking and getting paid is a whole lot easier than writing and so all I do is talk about sports anyway. So I figured I'd just keep doing all my talk shows. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, always, always try and listen to your bits with Seth in the morning, then the guys in the afternoon, and later on when you join them on 610. Um, always Thank worth, you. Always worthwhile. And I'm delighted you're speaking to us this week. So last year, John, when we spoke, I remember I asked you a question if this was the most sort of tumultuous off-season in Texans history, or Houston pro sports, pro football history you said it was the Oilers but it's certainly not been uh, uneventful you've had the Watson trade we've had a nearly hiring Josh McCowan how do you sort of reflect on this offseason um, again not atypical but it certainly keeps it interesting I tell you why you and the, the Deshaun Watson story is the gift that keeps on giving it's great for talk shows it's great for websites social media because there's so much interest in it and even though he was traded to cleveland it's still as you can imagine big news in houston every time something happens it is a massive story here i do not have a talk show and i do 10 a week in six cities in which i don't talk about watson every week and this has been going on back to january of 2021 when he initially said he wanted to be traded through his agent. And then it was early March when the first civil lawsuit was filed against him. And then, of course, they piled up. So it is an unprecedented story in the history of sports in our country. There's never been an athlete who has had 24 civil suits against him, charging sexual assault, misconduct, and what is amazing is we knew there were 44 women that said he gave them massages, 24 that filed suits, 18 that his attorney produced that said he was a perfect gentleman. Let's see, that's 24 to 42. And then there were two more that spoke publicly that were not part of the lawsuit, which means, of course, you know, he could have paid money to a lot of people. And then the New York Times reported two weeks ago, there was 66 uh, women who gave him <laughs> massages mm. over a 17-month period. And he's, he's innocent until proven guilty, of course, but he's guilty of bad judgment. That's for sure. And that's going to end up getting him suspended by the NFL. And as far as a Texans coach, they were actually on the verge of hiring Josh McCown, who had never coached above the high school level. 
uh, quarterback who played 18 seasons, 17 in the NFL, 12 different teams, including a cup of coffee with the Texans. And Jack Easterby, the Texans uh, executive vice president of football operations, had been tied with him for years. And when he was interim general manager in 2020, after Bill O'Brien had been fired, he signed McCown off of Philadelphia's practice squad. And so I was told by a couple of people in the organization, you watch, Easterby is going to try to get uh, Josh McCown hired as the next head coach, and I didn't believe it. They interviewed him. They hired David Cully. It's pretty obvious to me now. Cully was a one and done, and he walked away with millions. So that was very fair to him, although I don't think the situation was fair to him. And then they tried to hire McCown, and they were right on the verge of doing it. And then all of a sudden, the Brian Flores lawsuit caused them to take a step back because they were getting blasted locally every day nationally for hiring a coach who'd never coached above high school. And so then somebody in that organization said, well, look, let's think, let's rethink this. Lovey Smith, the associate head coach who uh, had helped them in the search because he has a lot of contacts around the NFL. And somebody said, well, what about Lovey? Let's interview Lovey. They asked him if he was interested. And he said, yes, they interviewed him unofficially, then officially. Then the next day they announced him. The next day they had a news conference and he wowed everybody because it's his third NFL head coaching job. And so he calmed the storm. And I know he wanted to have McCown on the, uh, on his staff because he'd had him two times in Chicago and Tampa. But I think McCown just wanted to disappear because he thought he was going to be a coach. He'll come back somewhere, I think, in another year, Ewan, as an assistant coach working his way up is the way it should have been. So since Lovey Smith was named, everything here, it's been just the opposite. Instead of tumultuous, it's been calm and easy. And do you think, is it as simple as the Brian... Flores lawsuit. Do you think that was like the tipping point that that made them change? Because I mean, I suppose myself included, people were probably hopeful that that was a sign that Easterby's power was perhaps on the slide and sensibility and professionalism was going to lead this club forward. And that's not what's been the case for a number of years. Well, Easterby has definitely kind of, he still has his responsibility, but he doesn't have the influence he had before. McCown was his baby. He didn't get it done. And now Lovey Smith doesn't need an Easterby in his ear all the time, like Easterby did with Romeo Cornell as interim coach. And then David Culley last year, Nick Casario, people have confidence in him. They finally had another Number one pick for the first time since 2019. Then they had two, and people are really fired up about their draft. And the and not that they're going to compete for the playoffs this year. They're not, but they won four games last year when they were horrible. They lost two more by three points to New England and Tennessee. Then they had a couple of one-score losses. But people think right now the Texans are going to be a team capable of winning six or seven games. And I believe you in this time next year. If you call me, I'll be telling you that I think the Texans are a wild card contender because they have 11 more draft choices, two number one picks uh, from the Browns, of course. And if Deshaun Watson is suspended for the season, like everybody thinks, and Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback, the odds are that draft choice is going to be a lot higher. So people are fired up about the future. And the key to everything is Davis Mills going into his second season. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of go back and forth on Davis. I think some of like the general kind of like expectations probably don't match the full breadth of tape because obviously there was, you know, the Buffalo, there's there was screen passes hitting the dart, you know, and then there was some flashes in quarters. But I suppose I've kind of maintained, John, until you can see him beating man coverage, and that's partly to do with his weapons in, in part as well. Uh, but until he can beat man coverage, until he can play sort of consecutive four quarters, which he's not really done, um, I know a good half against Tennessee, three quarters against uh, the Chargers, and they were probably two of his best. But until you kind of see a, a more rounded athlete, which he looks, he looks like he's filled out. But I still reserve judgment on Davis, and I suppose the the ball, the ball club and everybody seems really invested in him. Uh, but I think there's there's a lot to there's a lot of snaps and a lot of improvement, a lot of preseason uh, and early weeks in the season before you can make a judgment. How do you kind of see Mills with your experience going into year two versus you know what we've seen in previous years, perhaps? Well, first of all, he was never supposed to play last year before December. He only started 11 games in college. That was the fewest of any quarterback drafted in a year. Kellen Mond, who was drafted ahead of him, Minnesota, started 46 games, Trevor Lawrence, 31. And so they didn't want to play him. Then he had to play in the second game of the year, and he wasn't ready. Nobody expected him to be ready, and he struggled. He ended up with 10 interceptions, four at Buffalo, terrible weather, his worst game, and he bounced back. Every time he had a bad performance, whether it was in practice, he bounced back. The coaches, specifically Pep Hamilton, who's now the offensive coordinator like that, and over over the last four games, he was definitely the best rookie quarterback in the NFL. No questions asked. Mac Jones started going down, couldn't bring him from behind. Uh, and Mills was much better down the last, actually the last five games, nine touchdowns, two interceptions, 102 rating. And um, and they like him. They like everything about him. Does that mean he's going to be a franchise quarterback? No. All it means is he got a second season to prove himself. And if he takes a step back, which nobody thinks he will, but if he does, then next year is going to be a whole lot better quarterback draft, starting with C.J. Stroud of Ohio State and Bryce Young of Alabama. And the Texans will have two number one picks to try to get one or move up. So this is a big season for him. But they like his personality, his size, his arm. He moves better than people think, but he's a pocket passer, and uh, which makes it easier on the line. And they've improved the receiving. They've improved the offensive line. And we think they've improved the running game, but a lot of those have to do with rookies. And, you know, it's hard for rookies to make contributions, and so it's a big if. But the fact of the matter is they like where Mills is right now. Yeah, and you were out for most of, or if not all of, kind of the, the available or the, the available portions of of uh, OTAs and mini camp with Lovey uh, being in charge this year and, and seeing what Davis has kind of put out there, albeit you don't see everything. Uh, what were your kind of impressions, and, and was the kind of mood around the camp different than it was a year ago? More confidence, and you don't see that on the field, but you see it when you talk to the players, and they should be. They they have they know. That of their five draft choices last year, all of them flashed. Doesn't mean they'll be any good, but they flashed. And now they have this influx of new picks. They've signed some more free agents. This time next year, they'll they'll they're projected to have 120 million under the cap. Nick Casario's got their cap under control. And next year, I think we'll see them spend big on a couple of free agents that need positions, and that'll help them be better prepared to compete for wild card birth in 2023 and to compete. All you got to do is win like nine games. Yeah. And so, um, 
this year, like, you can't tell anything about linemen. They can't hit. Nobody can wear pads. But what you look at are receivers and defensive backs and just to see how they do. And one of the things about Mills is decision-making. Did he go where he's supposed to go with the ball? Did he make the light right change? You know, basically glorified walkthroughs, even though they go full speed when they're throwing and catching. And the coaches like that a lot. Pep Hamilton, who was a passing game coordinator and quarterback coach last year, had five teams interested in him. He interviewed with three. He was always staying here as offensive coordinator and primary quarterback coach, even if Josh McCown had been hired, because he believes in Mills. It's the first time Hamilton's called plays in NFL since 2015 with Indianapolis when Andrew Luck was his quarterback. And so it's a big deal for him. He's 45 years old. He wants to be a head coach. He knows how they improve and how Mills plays will be paramount to him getting interest in being a head coach. So they got a lot riding on this season with a lot of people, not to make the playoffs, but just to show progress. It's hard to believe this team's only been out of the playoffs two years. People here act like they've been terrible for 10 years. And I tell them, I say, look, the Oilers went through a seven-year period where they didn't win more than six games. You guys have suffered for two years. 2019, you were in the second round of the playoffs with a 24-point lead at Arrowhead Stadium before it went down the toilet. So they don't really haven't really suffered here. But you would think this franchise was one of the worst in football after two four-win seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the way I look at sometimes job was the last, well, the last two games I've been at was the one just after Thanksgiving against the Jets when uh, Taylor was out there and it was a pretty sorry defeat. And then the, the previous game was actually there in person was we went up to Arrowhead and won um, in the regular season week six and they had a great game, run the ball. They looked, you know, like a team that had a, ch- yeah, had a potential challenger in 2019. Obviously, the, the repeat game and the playoffs didn't go that way. But I suppose once you've tasted the good life, I think people get used to it. And I think if people kind of expect it to come again. And it's, it's a challenge for people to to do that. And it is a rebuilding process. And um, and what did you make when you were out there of this class of rookies? Because ultimately, that's the main input of talent to this roster um, until next year. Like, yeah, outline, what did you make of the of the rookie class? And, or, or, and was there also anybody that caught your eye as well that, you know, undrafted free agency, et cetera? Two of the uh, guys that they'll count on the most were they took it easy on him because of coming off injuries. Derek Stingley Jr., third overall pick. Uh, he's He had foot injury last year, so he went through all the walkthroughs. One of the things I like, players are on vacation now, and there were somebody posted videos of Stingley. I don't even know where he was, working like crazy. And I like that. And they tell all players when they break to go on vacation, take care of yourself. Because if you come back here in late July when it's going to be really hot and you've gotten out of condition, you're going to pay for it. So Stingley and John Matchy, the wide receiver from Alabama, Matchy is coming off knee surgery. It'll be eight months at the end of July. I'm sure they'll take it easy on him in training camp like they did the off-season program. And then They'll see what he can do once it gets to September. I look for him to be a contributor in the slot over the second half of the season because he's a rookie. He's going to have to learn anyway. And the one, the two that were the most impressive were Jalen Petrie, his second-round pick safety from Baylor. By the end of the offseason program, he was working with the first team. And I've told people that Stingley 
and Kenyon Green, the left guard, and Jalen Petrie, they're going to all start as rookies. And then before the season's over, it wouldn't surprise me if linebacker Christian Harris and John Mechie in the slot when they play three wides, if they're not going to be starting. And that's a lot of green. And sometimes too much greens like a salad with too much lettuce just doesn't taste as good. But um, I think Petrie, who um, – and I have to admit up front, I went to Baylor, so I saw every game he played yeah. in college. <laughs> and I told people when they drafted him, they're going to love this guy. He was there for five or six years, and they just really liked everything about him at Baylor, and I knew the coaches would hear, and the players. And so he impressed the heck out of him. And Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama, he ran a 4-4-4, and you don't see many linebackers who can run a 4-4-4. Now, he weighs about 226, but in Lovey Smith's defense, 4-3, they get most of their pass rush from the linemen. They don't blitz much at all, and the linebacker they have to be able to turn and run and cover so they're lighter and Christian Harris can move and the players and the coaches were really talking him up I have no idea if he could step in as a rookie they got linebackers returning they got a lot of depth there but I think Christian Harris is going to be not a surprise because he did have a big name playing at Alabama, but I think he's going to be a contributor as a rookie, and uh, people will be pleasantly pleased with his performance early on. Yeah, and what do you think, John? This is keeps me up at night at times. Um, not literally, but I think I've thought about it a lot. I think it, the the lack of pass rush up front. Um, how do you think the you know Jalen Petrie, as you said, part of your alma mater, um, really impressive kid. Not sure what spot he plays because he didn't play safety in college. He was all he played more spots than than uh, on the field, but not but not that. Do do you worry about him and Stingley year one with the lack of pass rush up front with the way this defense is shaped? As you said, predominantly a four man rush. Are they going to see some tough times and people are going to ask some big questions of the time and there'll be a lot of kind of looking in the mirror trying to grow and understand and reach the the, the requisite level they need to be at the, at the pros. First of all, let me go back to Petrie. Petrie played around the last scrimmage like a strong safety. He covered slot receivers. He, he took more snaps in the slot than any other player in the yeah. Big 12 last year. He's not a deep safety. You're not going to see him in cover two or cover three or anything. You're not protecting the field in quarters. He's going to be around the line. And he, he doesn't weigh 200 pounds. And he's about five ten and a half. But he's really smart and he's quick and he knows how to get between people and he knows how to not make take direct hits. He's also a really good tackler. So maybe they'll change it up and have him rush a little bit. Baylor did that. But it's got the primary pass rusher is going to be John Grenard. And he didn't participate in the offseason program coming off an injury, but he had eight sacks in 10 games. And that was his second season. And most players make their biggest improvement between their first and second season because they learn what it's like to be pros, get on a weight program. You know, your diet is important. You know how to take coaching. You adjust to the speed of the game, which is so much faster than college football. And so if Grenard can stay healthy coming off of that left side, they think he can be a, a consistent double-digit sack guy. And the, and the opposite end, they got Jerry Hughes, at 33, Mario Addison at 34, and if they had played for the Texans last year, they would have been second in sacks. And then the one that I'm the most 
fired up to watch is Shane Green, who came from Seattle. He had six and a half sacks off the bench. They went to a three-man front. He's a 4-3 guy, plays outside, moves inside, passing situations. And if he'd been on this team, he would have been second in sacks. So they have possibilities. Green's going to be 25. And so, you know, I think he'll be around here a while. I talked earlier, you went about uh, having $120 million under the cap. I think the place they're most likely to spend that money, if there's somebody available, if there is a pass rusher who can play right in here from now, and a guy that's under a lot of pressure, and these people don't talk about this much, Ross Blacklock, second-round pick. He is the last part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade, the second-worst in Houston football history. And um, he hasn't started but three games. He comes off the bench in passing situations, and they have so many defensive linemen. They have nine ends. He's a tackle, and he needs to produce, or he's going to be gone. And uh, they got him with a second-round pick acquired from Arizona. So they have they have depth, but other than Grenard, nobody stands out as a pass rusher unless you count Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, who have different points in their careers. And if they could just have each of those guys get five, they would be happy, assuming they both make the team. I think that you'll have Hughes as a starter uh, on the right side opposite Grenard. They'll have guys inside like they they – they have Roy Lopez, who last year was their last pick, and he started the most games of a rookie, and he plays on the nose, and then he comes out, and they, the other guys will come in. And uh, Malik Collins, they love at left tackle, but he's not a big-time pass rusher. So there's a lot of opportunities there up front to contribute as a pass rusher for a lot of players. And to me on defense, that's the single most important thing they had to accomplish. Their secondary was terrible last year. And part of it is they didn't have a pass rush. And then Justin Reed, they never even made him an offer. And he went to Kansas city and I'm happy for him because he's going to be on a Super Bowl contender and bringing in Stingley and Petrie in the first two rounds shows you uh, how much need they knew they had on the back end. Yeah, I think funny when you brought up Ross Blacklock there. I, I, I've got a feeling, and I've had, or I have had off all off season. Obviously, it's still early, but there's a good chance he probably doesn't make the roster because Casario's not tied to him. And he, as you said, if he hadn't been picked where he had, I don't think he'd still be here. You know, I think obviously there's there's a willingness to try and get some equity out of that terrible trade. And um, in terms of like, I think some people, all, all, you know, I think as you said, it's all about improvements this year, John. You think Stephen Nelson's probably better than Terence Mitchell. You think Rasheem Green's probably better than Demarcus Walker. There's iterative improvements across the roster. It's really, you know, I think it will hinge on how these rookies. Uh, develop and how early they could progress and what the path looks like for the defence. But with Lovey coming in as head coach this year, do you expect the defence to be different with picking guys like Petrie, picking guys like a man, you know, a man cover corner who can, you know, help you on the back end. They may manufacture pass rush up front. But do you expect this defence to be better? Because when you when I think about the number of turnovers they had last year, to, you know, they're gonna have to at least get near that you know, plus the level of talent that's increased, it's, it's it's difficult to see unless they do things differently than they did early last year. Because I think a lot of people have forgotten how bad that defense was at the start of last year. It kind of got more complex as the year went on. Do you think Lovey will call it differently and and with the, some of the new pieces he's got, and that can hopefully lead to you know keeping this team in games, which it got blown out you know too many times last year. 
one reason that Lovey Smith's defense always specialize in turnovers because they play so much zone coverage. He has said he likes the guys to be able to look at the ball, not to turn and run where they can't see the ball. And it's easier for rookies if you're playing zone and you don't, you've got techniques you have to play as far as turning your head at the right time, getting your hands up so it won't be interference. So he doesn't play a lot of Tampa 2, which involves the middle linebacker dropping deep into coverage. When he came came here last year, his system had evolved, and he played some man. And I think you wouldn't take a corner third overall if he's going to play zone all the time. You don't need a corner third overall if he's going to play zone. So I think Stingley uh, will be playing a lot of man underneath. If he can be a lockdown corner like everybody thinks he would, if he hadn't come off that Liz Frank injury, you know, he 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 would have been rated uh, over clearly over Sauce Gardner by everybody. But a lot of people had Gardner first, obviously. The Texans didn't. So, I think this, they'll still get a lot of turnovers. It would help if pass rush can be better. I don't know how they can't be better. The players who are returning are familiar with the system. They brought in some new coaches, but uh, the defense was awful last year. It was awful the year before, and I think it's going to be better, but that still doesn't mean all of a sudden they jump up in the top half of the league. I think if they could get somewhere around 20, that would be humongous improvement. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think the – that there's a lot to be a lot to be handed. Do you think how how different or what do you expect? We touched a lo- little bit earlier, but Pep's system. I'm, it's one of my off season tasks to try and dive into the old indie tape and Andrew Luck and all that kind of stuff and see, and see some of his um his college work and obviously he had some um some uh, CFL um tape there as well. What do you what do you expect differently about this offense? Because you look at tight end, if you look at wide receiver, there's probably only one you know proven passing option um for Mills and Brandon Cooks. Um they're probably gonna have to manufacture a lot of kind of easy layup plays and 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 and, and find fluidity um in drives that they didn't installed out too many times last year under Tim Kelly. What do you think that Pep will call differently and how will that help or or hinder the you know the, the players we've got here, John, what do you think? First of all, he better run the ball better. They were 32nd last year. It was the worst running team in franchise history. The year before, it was 31st. They haven't had a good running game since 2019 when we thought their offensive line had been taken care of with the Laramie Tunsil trade, and they weren't going to have to worry about it. Now, they're still worried about it. They've got their third coach in three years, and George Warhop, who came from Jacksonville. He's all about average carry on the rush. He told us that when we talked to him for the first time and they took running back Damian Pierce in the fourth round, who I predicted will have a thousand yards and that's not that big a deal anymore with 17 games. And I think at the start, I think he may not start the first game, but they're talking about Marlon Mack. He hadn't done squat in two years because of injuries. That's what happened to him last year when they got these backs that were coming off injuries and didn't work well for anybody. Rex Burkhead, who was coming off an ACL, ended up being their leading rusher with the fewest yards by a leading rusher in franchise history. And he's still there with Marlon Mack. But Pierce, who split time at Florida, is going to get a great opportunity here. And if they can't improve the running game with Damian Pierce, that's going to hurt Davis Mills. Another reason I was so impressed with Mills down the stretch is he had no running game. Mac Jones had a top five running game, top 10 defense, and 
Mills didn't have either one of those. And so uh, they've got to run the ball better. And then uh, Brandon Cooks is always good for a thousand yards. Nico Collins in his second year, they're fired up about him. They were fired up about him in the offseason program. And then John Medici at some point is going to be the inside receiver, I believe. But they've got to run the ball. Brevin Jordan, the second year tight end, he's an H back. He flashed near the end of last season, especially in the red zone. But that's still a position where somebody has to step up. Veteran Farrell Brown said uh, he he expects to make the Pro Bowl. And, you know, we're like, okay, um, that's great to think that way. But first, you got to stay on the field and be able to play. That's another position, I think, in 2023 offseason that they could target in free agency, if not the draft because they have to get better production at tight end. They've never had a consistently big producer tight end, no matter who the head coach has been. They've had a few that have had 50, 60 catches, and then they petered out. So it all starts with the running game, and if they can control the ball more, that keeps the defense fresh, helps Davis Mills, and it is just essential that they do a better job. And it starts up front where Titus Howard is back at right tackle after the failed experiment last year. Tunzel, he didn't, he played five games, didn't come back. And so he's back at left tackle. AJ can a free agent from Jacksonville's right guard. It's only a matter of time for Kenyon green their second first round pick will be the left guard. And I think they're making a mistake relying on Justin Brett at center yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's had knee issues. Then he limped off of an OTA with an ankle problem. So they better have a good backup center because I don't, I think he will miss some time, but, the line should be better because it couldn't be much worse. Yeah, you you wonder if 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 Kenyon Green comes in and he's potentially your best run blocker straight away, and I, I, that that worries me slightly. You know, like have Titus and and Tunsil showing enough in, in run blocking. You know, they moved to a zone run or moved from a you know a mixture of zone and power to a power scheme this year. So yeah, I think that that's probably where this team hinges, John. I think it's it's a it's a there's a there's a lot to be a lot to be had there, and I think yeah, like you said, tight end is is uh, is a bit of a a, de- a dead spot. I think we've probably never replaced Owen Daniels. I think that is, I would go far as saying that maybe a season from Darren Fells in 2019. But um, as it comes to this season, John, as you said, it's about improvement. I think you know you can't really look beyond that. But you've been seen and done it all the road trips. We've got Denver, Vegas, Miami, Chicago, New York, and Dallas. Is there any road trips um, that you, you're looking forward to, you know, in a personal or professional capacity this year that, that are can't misses and what's, what's so good about them? Well, my wife is mad at me that I retired from the Chronicle where I'd be making every road trip because she likes going to Vegas, Los Angeles, New York. They're going to all the cities where she liked to go. And I told her, well, if you want to go, we'll go. But uh, the Las Vegas, of course, because nobody here has seen that stadium and uh, they're going to be playing there. And and uh, the games that are most important, of course, are the AFC South. And Tennessee had to beat the Texans at the end by three to clinch home field advantage. A.J. Brown, who was a humongous weapon for them, I don't think they're going to be as good. Ryan Tannehill may be hitting the wall. I don't think Matt Ryan's all of a sudden going to turn Indianapolis into a Super Bowl contender, but they are a contender to win the division um, uh, over Tennessee. And then the Texans have beaten Jacksonville eight in a row, including last year when the Jaguars were favored by five and six and a half points. But a lot of people picked the Jaguars ahead 
ahead of the Texans, and that's fine. Texans haven't lost to them until 2017. So I think the Texans will be third and the Jags fourth again. And uh, But I think the Texans still, if they can win six games, be a two-game improvement, people should be happy. Because if you're not going to the playoffs, go ahead and be bad and get higher draft choices. Yeah, and when you look at all this this period, John, um, there's been so much change. Uh, we're on our third head coach in three years, or fourth if you include Romeo as an interim. Um, when you lo- look at all the changes and everything that's got to be built back up, what do you think uh, Cal reflects on this time period and in, in between him, Casario, etc.? What um, what sort of timelines do they say? Because I know Nick Nick's called it a major undertaking a number of times. He's tried to temper expectations. He says, you know, it's going to take time, a lot of hard work and a lot of effort from a lot of people. Um, how do you think sort of Cal and the general leadership of the ball club reflect on this period? Um, because obviously they've got to kind of put a public face on it and it, and it feels like things have changed under Lovey. But is that the, is, is, is Lovey and, and, uh, and continue adding through the draft, is that the long-term direction for this club or do you think there's more changes afoot um, depending on obviously result dependent but do you think that's is that a clear path that they're all set on right now I guarantee you Lovey Smith will not be a one and done not oh, after yeah. everything they went through with <laughs> yeah. David Cully and then how long he's there by, by after one year depends on where they are and they know they don't have expectations for this year other than just improving over last season. There was a reason the McNair family gave Nick Casario a six-year contract. They knew it was going to be a massive rebuild, and that's what it is. And they're not impatient. The only time they have been was with Cully. And I think I was the only media person that didn't think David Cully should be fired. He made a lot of mistakes and in-game decisions and admitted it. And everybody wanted him gone. But I thought after what they saddled him with, he deserved a second chance. And he was disappointed because he thought he learned a lot and he wanted to see how he could translate that into more winning in his second season. But people here want him gone. They got what they wanted. And then Lovey wasn't the first choice because he wasn't even considered. And I know Brian Flores is, I think, soon said he would have gotten a job and he was never going to get the job here. It was always Josh McCown and then and then Lovey at the last minute. So the McNairs are usually very patient. They spend a lot of money. They've been paying three general managers since Rick Smith left, and they're still paying three general managers. I told them they could pay me and get as much as they're getting out of the previous two general managers. And so money's not an issue. They stay out of it. They let Nick Casario make all decisions. And uh, the president, Greg Grissom, makes all the decisions on the administrative side. So they have their two leaders, and they want to know what's going on, but they stay out of the way. And this time next year, you and they'll, they'll have uh, higher expectations, I believe. Yeah. Do you know, I, I just popped in my head there, John. I, I found a video uh, the other day, my first ever Texas game, 2012, against Buffalo, Matt Sharp, Kubiak offense, and the noise from the crowd when, the, when I think it was Garrett Graham scored a touchdown early on in that game. And the noise on that video is just nothing like what it's been like. So, you know, fingers crossed that the good times roll back. And it's all cyclical, but uh, we're, I suppose we're, all we can do is wait, be patient, and see where this uh, young team develops this year. But... John, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. It is my pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm available anytime you need me. Appreciate it, John. Thanks.